In December of 1989, federal court judge Robert Vance and his wife were preparing for the busy Christmas holiday. Who sent the box? I don't know. Doesn't say. It was a delivery he never expected. Robert and Helen Vance lived with their family in an affluent suburb of Birmingham, Alabama. For more than a decade, Robert Vance had been a federal court judge for the 11th District, presiding over cases from Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. He was very bright. Not only the book smart, kind of bright, but he had just amazing common sense, street smarts. Judge Vance undoubtedly had his share of enemies, but had never received any threats, which explains why he wasn't suspicious of the package mailed to him a few days before Christmas. The package contained a pipe bomb with nails wrapped around the pipe, which acted like shrapnel. The blast killed Judge Vance instantly. His body was thrown clear across the kitchen. Miraculously, Helen Vance survived the explosion, and she was able to get to a neighbor's home for help. Mom suffered some severe injuries from the explosion. She had several cuts uh, in the flesh from the nails that had, the bomb had been bound with. And she had had several internal injuries um, from nails actually penetrating the body, including one that had done some damage to her liver. U.S. Marshals warned all members of the judiciary to be on the alert for any suspicious mail packages. Two days later, a security guard at the 11th Circuit Court in Atlanta noticed something unusual in a routine x-ray of packages entering the building. Inside the package, was an eight-inch tube attached to a pair of flashlight batteries, the telltale sign of a pipe bomb. Investigators did not want to detonate the bomb. They wanted it dismantled in order to study its construction. When they did, experts determined that this bomb was identical to the one that killed Judge Robert Vance. The bombs told us that we were dealing with a very angry guy because of the nature of their construction, and the nature of that construction also told us that we were dealing with a very purposeful individual, someone who had not just idly gotten mad and done this, but someone who really did uh, a good deal of work in, in putting this together. The bomb had two unique characteristics, which investigators had never seen before. The bomb and the inside of the box had been covered with black enamel paint. It had square end caps, which were bolted and welded onto the ends, which delayed the explosion and increased its force. Unfortunately, scientists could find no trace evidence inside the bomb package, no hair, fibers, or fingerprints. The bomb was similar to a tear gas bomb which exploded four months earlier in the Atlanta office of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or NAACP. Along with that bomb was a letter, a declaration of war 
against the 11th Circuit Court. The attacks will continue until widespread terror forces the court to adopt the impartial and equitable treatment of all as its highest priority. No one knew why a threat against the 11th Circuit Court had been sent to the NAACP, which was involved in civil rights issues. Investigators suspected that the tear gas bomb was mailed as a test to see if it could be sent through the mail without exploding. When that test was successful, the bomber started on his path of murder. Two days after the bomb explosion which killed Judge Robert Vance, Robert Robinson, a civil rights attorney, went to work as usual at his office in Savannah, Georgia. Waiting for him on his desk was a package that had been sent to him through the mail. When he opened it, it exploded. His friend, Dr. Brown, was across the street and rushed to his aid. I'm just holding him at this point, looking around the room, having my arm under his armpit, could feel actually his pulse as it waned. Three hours later, Robert Robinson died. The bomb was set to detonate when the string wrapped around the outside of the package was pulled. The string was attached to a battery-powered charge, triggering the explosion. All of the bombs were identical, and the bomber was meticulous in every detail of their construction. Once the bombs were completed, the bomber sprayed black paint over the inside of the box, which covered up possible evidence, such as fingerprints or fibers. And the bomber was careful not to leave any genetic material, such as hair or saliva, on the mailing labels or on the backs of the stamps. These were very meticulously built bombs. So meticulous that some of the finest forensic machinery in the world failed to find one speck of DNA, one fingerprint, so much as a trace of powder under a fingernail. On the same day that Robert Robinson was murdered, Willie Dennis received an identical package in the mail. At the time, Willie Dennis was president of the NAACP office in Jacksonville, Florida. But Miss Dennis was late for a meeting, so she left her office before opening the package. That night at home, she received a phone call from a friend. He says, Vita, I don't know whether you've heard the news, but Bobby Robinson in Savannah, Georgia, has received a bomb. And, and he was killed instantly. He said, now, if you receive any funny packages, funny-looking packages, uh, you make sure that you notify the sheriff's office. Which is what she did. Inside was a pipe bomb. I saw a common hand, which was a bomber's signature in all four bombs, that led me to conclude that not only the same person or persons, but the same person constructed these four bombs to the exclusion of anybody else. There were four letters inside the package. One took responsibility for the murders of Judge Vance and Robert Robinson. 
Another made reference to the tear gas bomb sent a few months earlier to the NAACP. To the officer who opened our smoke bomb, the officers of the NAACP have become targets for assassination. The letters and mailing labels had all been typed with the same typewriter, which had a signature flaw. The number one on the keypad did not match the typeface of the other keys. It was a replacement. There was a broken key which was replaced with a different type key. Uh, so that was fairly unique. I mean, the odds of finding another one uh, with that same letter replaced with another typewriter was, was a fairly unique characteristic. The FBI searched the files of the 11th Circuit Court looking for any documents which might have been typed with the same typewriter. More than one million documents were examined. The FBI found one letter type with the same typewriter. It had the same flaw. The number one was a different typeface. The letter dealt with an obscure life insurance case from 1987. And the sender was alive and well in the small town of Enterprise, Alabama. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The investigation into these bombings became the largest and most exhaustive in the history of federal law enforcement. Investigators used every method at their disposal to find the typewriter used to type the letters and mailing labels on the bomb packages. Their investigation revealed that the same typewriter had been used by a man in Enterprise, Alabama, Robert Wayne O'Farrell, to type a letter about an insurance dispute. My sense of the typewriter match that led them to Enterprise was that this was believed by agents to be almost tantamount to a fingerprint. I mean, a solid forensic link. O'Farrell was a junk dealer, and investigators searched every inch of his home, garage, and warehouse. They even excavated his septic system, but they couldn't find the typewriter. O'Farrell recalled typing the insurance letter, but couldn't remember what happened to the typewriter. His daughter had a vague recollection of selling it to a young woman about a year earlier, but could provide no description of the buyer, and she had no receipt of sale. With the typewriter now a dead end, investigators were left with the bombs as their main source of evidence. Pictures of the bombs were distributed to bomb experts throughout the country. No one had ever seen a bomb constructed quite like this before. Got a call from a very good friend of mine, Lloyd Irwin, who is a, uh, a chemist analyst of ATFs up in Atlanta. And Lloyd uh, called and asked, uh, what did I have? And I said, the, uh, the damnedest pipe bomb I've ever seen. It's got a threaded rod that ran right through the middle of it. And I'd never seen or heard 
of such a design feature in a pipe bomb before? And his response was, well, I have. Lloyd Irwin recalled a similar bomb many years earlier, one with a rod through the center and the same distinctive square end caps. It's the only one that we'd ever had like that. We have lots of pipe bombs and different kinds, and even remote controlled. But when you have one, it's the only, the only one you've ever seen like it. I mean, and it sticks. Irwin searched through the thousands of cases in his file all the way back to 1972 and learned that the bomb he recalled had accidentally maimed a woman who came across it unexpectedly in her home. Authorities suspected that the bomb had been constructed by her husband, Walter Leroy Moody. Although he denied it, Moody was convicted of constructive possession of that bomb and sentenced to six years in the state penitentiary. Walter Leroy Moody was furious about that conviction and after he was released from prison, spent the next 10 years trying to have his conviction overturned. Mark Winnie described Moody's legal battles in his book, Priority Mail. I think those who have come to know Moody in various spheres would say that Moody could be charming, he could be, in some respects, enormously bright. I think one psychologist called him a genius. But on the other hand, he could become blinded by obsession. That obsession may have included the case of Julie Love, a young white woman who was murdered and raped by a group of black defendants in one of the most highly publicized cases in Atlanta history, a case tried at the 11th Circuit Court. This was the case mentioned in one of the bomber's letters. Anytime a black man rapes a white woman in Alabama, Florida, or Georgia in the future, Americans for a competent federal judicial system shall assassinate one federal judge, one attorney, and one officer of the NAACP. It's not happen chance that he's mad with the 11th Court of Appeals where he sent a bomb. And the 11th Court of Appeals is made up of the states of Alabama, Florida, and Georgia. So all three of those states got a bomb. But if Walter Leroy Moody was the bomber, authorities couldn't prove it. They had no forensic evidence linking him to any of the bombings. After interviewing more than 6,000 people, poring over a million documents, and examining the case files of every bombing in the United States, federal authorities were convinced that Walter Leroy Moody was the serial bomber. Federal agents searched the home Moody shared with his second wife, Susan. The search was so complete that even the floorboards were removed and the entire residence vacuumed for gunpowder and other trace evidence. But authorities could not find one single piece of evidence in their search. I'm not concerned about anybody finding any connections uh, regarding those or any other bombings ever. Although investigators found nothing inside Moody's home, it was what they didn't find that was revealing. The first search of the house 
appeared as the house had been sterilized, meaning that normal things that would be uh, found in a house that could be used to fabricate a bomb device, wire, nails, uh, pliers, uh, even pieces of pipe, things that uh, you probably have around your house, they were totally lacking, absent in this house. But the pressure of a federal investigation was too great for Susan Moody. She was 20 years younger than her husband and told authorities that Moody was emotionally and physically abusive. When she was questioned separately without her husband, she provided some interesting information. Just do it the same way as always. Susan Moody said that her husband often took her shopping at stores throughout the southeastern part of the United States. He told her to buy steel pipe, acrylic tubing, raincoats, rubber gloves, shower caps, and safety glasses. She was also told to buy black enamel paint. And she said her husband once shoplifted some nails from a store in Georgia. Nails similar to those which were used in the pipe bombs. Investigators believe that Moody used the cap, gloves, and safety glasses to dress himself like a surgeon while making the bombs so that he wouldn't leave genetic material in the package. Moody sprayed the inside of the package with black enamel paint to mask any fingerprints, hairs, or fibers that may have been left inadvertently. Prosecutors believe that Moody removed all of the materials he used to make the bombs before his home was searched. Susan Moody also confirmed that she had purchased a used typewriter for her husband, which had later been thrown away. There was one more piece of evidence that investigators had almost given up on, the fingerprint found on one of the bomber's letters. Susan Moody told the FBI that she had copied the letters for her husband in a small shop in Florence, Kentucky. Excuse me? I think the copier is out of paper. When the copy machine ran out of paper, one of the employees put more in. When he did, his fingers touched the top piece of paper. Okay. You're all set. Thank you. The employee's fingerprint matched the one found on the threatening letter, which confirmed Susan Moody's story. It was the link investigators needed to tie Moody to the bombs. And that's where they bought the boxes that contained the bombs. And forensically, that fingerprint, to the exclusion of everything else in the whole world, uh, put them at the place that she said they were where they bought the boxes. If you look at Susan Moody's testimony by itself, there could have been the potential for the defense to say, this is the ex-wife who has a motive to want to stay out of jail. But key is that much of what Susan Moody testified to could be corroborated by forensic science. Susan Moody was granted immunity and testified for the prosecution. Walter Leroy Moody was found guilty of the murders of Judge Robert Vance and Robert Robinson and was sentenced to death by electrocution. I think if 
we had not identified Moody as a potential suspect very quickly, I think there would have been more bombs. I don't think he was through. I really don't think he was through. I don't think he would have ever been through as long as he was out there. The evidence suggests that the bomber's obsession with making his devices just that much deadlier, that much more vicious and destructive, is ultimately what became Roy Moody's undoing. Some people would call that irony. I think some people would call it justice.